uh, we already have a group of indigenous uh, instructors here in the U.S., not only for Quechua, but for Aymara, for Nahuatl, for, for all of them. So we can share. I think that that is the first step here, like create a community here in the U.S. with instructors that are already here. And that is also the, 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 the you know, community uh, heart, right? That is Quechua. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Elvia Andia follows up on her talk about teaching indigenous language classes and her own experience teaching Quechua. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lubowitz, the LRC's media manager. We are excited to have Elvia Andia with us today. Professor Andia is Quechua lecturer at The Ohio State University. She gave a talk as part of our monthly LRC speaker series on designing indigenous language classes to promote spoken proficiency, and we will extend our conversation about best practices today. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Elvia. Thank you so much. I I am honored to be here, and thank you so much for having me here, guys. Well, we're very happy to have you. Uh, we thought we could kick things off by having you talk a little bit about your background um, in education and in languages. Right. So I have a degree in applied linguistics to language teaching back in, in Bolivia. I have a master's degree in uh, high education and my focus on my my work when back in Bolivia was to you know search about the linguistic policies for indigenous language that are used in the high education so I work with yeah. the indigenous uh, universities there and I am teaching Quechua for about 12 years I am a native speaker of the language I am in the U.S. for five years Ohio State University uh, invite me uh, for teaching Quechua here and five years ago. That's wonderful. And you are the only nationally certified um, rater for Quechua in the U.S. Yes, that is a very nice news and it was a, a, an achieve, right, for not only for Quechua, but it is a good example of what we can do with indigenous languages around the world. Yeah, so that's actually something we do want to talk a little bit more about today. Um, But first off, um, I want to remind our listeners, and we did mention this in our first episode, but we are so excited that we are now offering Quechua again at Cornell after a long hiatus. And Elbia, as you noted in your talk, many less commonly taught languages, and the indigenous languages in particular, face a lack of material for language instruction. And so sometimes it's difficult to identify different sources of input for the students in these indigenous languages. So in your talk, you offered some best practices in designing indigenous language classes that are rooted in the actful standards. Can you please give our listeners a very brief digest of what you talked about, some of these best practices for designing materials? Yes, so during my training to become an OPI tester, uh, I learned fo- lots of things from my mentor, right? And she was the great mentor that I could have. Mm-hmm. And also about how ACFOLD right, organized the language functions for each level uh, yeah. of the language. So uh, ACFOLD presents clearly language functions descriptors. So 
I use them to organize the learning goals for my classes. Yeah. Because I think that if I do that so I can prepare my plan, my lesson plan for every day and my materials and all of that, looking for what they are looking for at the end of the semester, at the end mm -hmm. of the course. So we know clearly what, what has to be the product at the end of the of the end of destruction. So based on them, I created materials according to the level and with a proper cultural knowledge, right? With aspects from my culture that are properly placed in the materials that I designed. I designed rubrics for each skill and level. So I, I am evaluating the language proficiency based on what the students can do at each level. Mm -hmm. I am preparing materials for each level and I'm not jumping other levels. I'm not touching other levels. And I'm, I'm helping the students to achieve that. And in my classes, I provide many uh, language practice situations or opportunities for my students so they can use Quechua in different tasks. Well, so you talked about the oral proficiency interview and the disconnect between many prompts that are relevant for more commonly taught languages. Can you expand a bit on that and the challenges indigenous languages face with standardized interviews like the OPI? ACPOL has these standards for each level, right? So yeah. for beginning, or for novice to intermediate, they are the descriptors and also the, the prompts that they have. You can just change them easily because they, they, the product is like how the students, you know, can solve these familiar situations, can use the language in a very, uh, you know, basic uh, uh, situation or context, right? But when you jump, when you go further, you go to advanced level, superior level, then you find the aspects that the standards, you know, are calling for another uh, element or another description that do not apply to indigenous people. Mm -hmm. right? Some they are calling like this, this speaker is going to be able to communicate with a well-educated speaker of Quechua, right? So I think that uh, these descriptors, these standards are not adequate for Quechua or for any indigenous language. Mm -hmm. but at any point, right, I'm saying that we don't have, indigenous people don't have, you know, well-preparated uh, speakers, professionals, right, that has these degrees and everything. So I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that maybe the students who are learning the Quechua are not learning a language to communicate with the real Quechuas that are in the community, that are in the, you know, in the areas where they want to do the research, yeah. where they want to visit. So they are learning Quechua to speak with a professor that also learns Quechua, mm. also knows Quechua. So these standards sometimes are not connected with the cultural things in Quechua or for another indigenous community. Yeah, so what are some solutions that you can think of to make interview protocols like the OPI more applicable for indigenous languages? Like, are you maybe working on a set of different prompts for these higher levels of proficiency to adequately take into account the cultural context of the of the indigenous culture? Are there some, you know, some things that you have in mind or that you maybe are already working on? I think that when, the, you know, not only ACTFL, but the others, other institutions that designed these standards for yeah. proficiency, they were they didn't consider indigenous language really, right? Because not because they are ignoring sure. them or something, but there was not someone, some native speaker of indigenous language as part of the team 
that were building these standards or these criteria. Because if we could have someone that can, you know, let them know what involves to speak an indigenous language, what important elements from our culture has to be when someone is using our language, then they are going to realize that we can say a lot of things. We can talk about many, many things. We are not saying that we are not able to talk about the topics that they want to, sure. to, to evaluate. But the things that maybe it's important for us also, as, as we speak, this, this uh, you know, background, this cultural background is going to be always when we are speaking. We always are going to make reference to our grandparents, to our history, to our examples of life and everything. And sometimes these standards, right, are so, 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 um, you know, straight, so you cannot go, uh, you know, escape to the, to the rule. But sometimes with, with indigenous languages, you have to redesign them or maybe rewrite the standard and consider mm-hmm. exceptions, right? Consider exceptions. So we are going to be able to catch us or indigenous language. So we are going to consider uh, advanced or superior or distinguished levels, also including this aspect from their cultural background. And okay. working with that, only I'm working in my classes. So for those levels, I, I am using the examples or the standard from not only for ACFL, but for from others. And, you know, creating these situations, communicative situations for my students. Mm-hmm. Yes, complicated situations where they can explain things, narrate things, give their opinion and everything, but based on what they are going to face, the yeah. reality. So how do you tie cultural background and native speakers into your teaching? Um, what are some strategies for instructors of indigenous languages to connect with native speakers? Okay, I think that the best resource for creating materials is, is the instructor, mm-hmm. right? Is the instructor, and more if the instructor is a native speaker. Yeah. So once you have that for indigenous language, so the instructor can create materials, create readings, create situations, create everything because he has he or she has the the, the you know the language with 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 him or with her, right? So and then the the instructor, right? The instructor can record you know, herself, himself, write tests, uh, design communicative activities, and more. With a proper culture approach, I think that they can create, like, wonderful materials, mm-hmm. right? And the best option is to create materials that you, as an indigenous instructor, right, as an indigenous instructor, are happy with. I'm happy with this text. I'm happy how put uh, how, how this text uh, talks about family. I'm happy how they represent the community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, as a native speaker, you know what uh, what is what aspects are challenging the community. So you can talk and discuss that to your to your students and also prepare them, right? I yeah. always talk to them like, you know, you are going to face different things when you visit a, an indigenous sure. community. So sometimes it's going to be very challenging for you when you arrive and visit a, a, a faraway community with maybe uh, where they do not have the basic elements that maybe you are used to, you know, like running water, like, you know, everyday transportation and mm-hmm. internet, uh, 5G or, you know, all <laughs> of that maybe you are not going to find, but always I present all that information to them. 
So I think that the materials are, has to represent that. Yeah. Do you find it challenging? And I don't know how, how often you have had the opportunity to go back home since you've been um, in Ohio, but do you find it challenging now that you're removed from your cultural context to keep up with, with that? Because I know for myself, I've lived in the States for decades now, and I don't get to travel back to Germany as often as I as I like to. Um, and I feel that I'm experiencing a disconnect now between my my own culture um, and it, it's becoming more and more difficult for me to relay, I guess, authentic ways of German speech, maybe. Do you do you find similar um, sentiments in, in your situation? Great. So, for example, in here in the Ohio State, they provide me a great opportunity so I can go to my country every year. Oh, nice. So they, um, you know, put uh, all the economic funds there and everything. So they give me the opportunity to go every year to Bolivia and found new materials, you know, books, mm -hmm. uh, texts, and uh, bring uh, our clothing, uh -huh, uh -huh. elements that I was thinking about that. And also when I went there, so I tried to record everything. I read yeah. a lot of aspects because if you found in the internet, they are already created. You know, they have a transcript to follow, but that's sure. that's not something real for my students. Yeah. So I went there. I have a conversation with my grandmother. And she didn't notice, but I am recording what she's saying. You know, we are we are bringing picture for my students, and I usually, if it is permitted, I bring a lot of stuff for for doing the cooking here. At the Ohio State mm. University, before the pandemic, we have a catch-up community day. So in the catch-up community day, all my students from my own institutions came and visited Ohio State. And we prepare food, catch-up food, we prepare catch-up drinks, we listen catch-up music, and yeah. we invite someone that uh, is doing, you know, some weaving, that mm -hmm. is a, maybe a catch-up writer, someone related to our travel, you know, culture, because unfortunately we cannot bring someone that easy. You know, I'm going to bring a speaker from Bolivia to be with the students. But we found uh, these ways for the students to practice and to listen others. And that is my, my, my also my objective for my advanced classes. All the material, the audio files, the works that they are doing, the reading that we are doing are not from me because the students get used to Well, you know, to my boys, they get used to. Mm -hmm, to so that's why we use others, others for the homeworks, for the listening part, for the writing. So we we read other authors, and the students like that because they they face another style of writing, another style of speaking. I I think that that's also a good good idea for the programs, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. I'm I'm so glad that you have that opportunity. What advice would you give students who want to study an indigenous language that may not be offered on their campus? Well, I suggest that the students visit their campus and specifically they look for the core share coordinator. Okay, they are going to find someone that is with that responsibility that's in charge of the core share coordination. And maybe they that person that responsible is going to 
you know, look for another partner institution that is teaching the indigenous or the language that they are looking for and they want to study. Wonderful. Um, what final piece of advice would you give to instructors who want to design materials that are culturally appropriate when source materials may not be easily available? And if they maybe cannot go to the target culture or to the target country, do you have any suggestions for where to start? Yes. So I think that, um, as I maybe mentioned before, but uh, we already have a group of indigenous uh, instructors here in the U.S., not only for Quechua, but for Aymara, for Nahuatl, for, for all of them. So the best opportunity here is that you could work with a, you know instructor as a partner and invite him or her to have mm -hmm. to create these materials because they, they are here already. So they can work with mm -hmm. you. You can invite them. You can record him or her. You can create or exchange material. Sure. Right, it's chain material. I'll do it like a mobile, you know, like material. So if the instructor has, for example, I, right? Here in the US, in the Ohio State, we have lots of clothing and books mm -hmm. and instruments and everything. So I can lend that to Cornell, right? And for them to, you know, watch it, uh, touch it, mm -hmm. and, you know, see how is the clothing from Bolivia if they are learning a Kichwa yeah. variant. So they can learn and see and listen, you know, touch this stuff. So we can share. I think that that is the first step here, like create a community here in the U.S. with instructors that are already here. And that is also the, 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 the you know, community uh, heart, right? That is Quechua, right? That is yeah. the helping. The community mm -hmm. always is there. So we have to promote the principles of Quechua here, the principle of indigenous people that is shared, right? That is shared. That's Wonderful. beautiful, yeah. Well, before we sign off, we'd like to ask you to share your favorite word in a language you speak, love, or are learning. So what is that favorite word? My favorite word in Quechua is always Ayu. Ayu that means community. Without a community, there is nothing, you know, for planting, for working, for teaching, for learning, for living. It has to be someone else. So it has to be a community. That's my favorite word. I love that. I, love I feel it. like that's a really important sentiment always, but, but now in particular, it, it feels poignant. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for speaking of language with us today, Elbia. Well, thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for, you know, learning and listening about indigenous language that we are part, we are these languages that are underrepresented. We are small languages that maybe we don't have the same opportunities as, as other languages here mm -hmm. in the U.S., not only here in the U.S., but in our own countries, we don't yeah. have the same opportunities as Spanish or other languages. And thank you so much for, for giving us this opportunity to be in your in your you know, in your uh, series of, of presentations. And I hope that uh, uh, other institutions give the opportunity to other indigenous languages that are present here in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the work that you do. 
Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Next week, Jalen Millen will join us. She is the new Language House Director on campus, and we are excited to hear what plans she has for our favorite residential program. Until then... Auf Wiederhören! The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners, and do stay tuned for our next episode.